This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And welcome to the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. Amazon plans to start using drones to deliver packages in Texas later this year, and we'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the report on retail sales is out, along with the latest tally of factory orders. Wall Street sure seems to like those numbers. Let's talk about them with Bob Bruska, the chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics in New York. So, Bob, your take on the numbers today. Um, well, they're a mixed bag of numbers. You know, you've got to be careful about looking at headlines. Uh, people want to look at the retail sales report and see a stronger number, and it is. But uh, the previous month was weaker, so it's kind of a, a higher jump out of a deeper hole. And uh, we still had very bad inflation numbers, which meant that the spending in this report is still stagnant. So that really wasn't particularly good. The inflation expectations, uh, again, this is kind of an odd report as well. Uh, a, a number of the metrics in the inflation expectations report came down, but uh, one of the centrist measures actually went up to an all-time high. And so, you know, sort of people who are in the middle of this distribution creating inflation expectations they seem to be becoming more worried. People at the extremes uh, change their views more, but people who are in the middle seem to be becoming more concerned. So I'm not sure that that's really the good thing that's being portrayed to be. So, you know, the economic statistics are kind of complicated. There are a lot of different moving parts to them, but, you know, the retail sales is still a pretty stagnant report. Consumer expectations for inflation are still high. So, Bob, let me ask you about the retail sales numbers. You mentioned that it's, uh, you know, may not necessarily be as much as we're talking about, depending on, you know, based on looking at where we were last month, what about the fact that inflation is not really factored into this? And how much of this is actual increase in sales of goods or transactions, as opposed to just a reflection of people are paying more for the goods they're buying? Well, that's exactly right. It's a nominal report. And so you look at dollar values, you know, economists have this expression of called money illusion. Um, you know, there was a hilarious Saturday Night Live routine back when inflation was high with Jimmy Carter and Dan Aykroyd did a parody of Jimmy saying things could be great. You know, you could be living in a $300,000 house and wearing a $1,000 suit and driving a $50,000 car. Well, actually, those numbers aren't too far out of uh, reality anymore. But uh, at the time, they seemed very excessive. And that's the point is if you're wearing the same suit, but it costs more. Why is that a good thing? And what about the factory order numbers? What are your thoughts on those, and what are those saying about the economy? Yeah, well, the industrial production report uh, showed declines in manufacturing output and a decline in the previous month, and so uh, there is uh, some weakness there. We've seen weakness in other manufacturing reports as well. 
Um, the thing to understand about the manufacturing report is it's issued by the Federal Reserve. It is not issued by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and as such, is not part of the GDP uh, suite of reports that comes out. So this is sort of a standalone look at industrial production. It doesn't formally really tell us anything about how GDP is doing, but on its own, it was not a reassuring look at, at the manufacturing sector. That's Bob Brusca, the chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics out of New York. Thanks for taking us beyond the headlines on these numbers today, and it's important to do that. Coming up, drone delivery by retailers is expanding. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The latest expansion of drone delivery involves an effort in Texas by Amazon. And here to talk about what's becoming, I guess, the Drone Star State is Paul Hockman, the president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. So, Paul, what does it mean that this is happening in Texas and how soon before you and I will start seeing things dropped off at our door by a drone? Well, it's what it means right now is that college kids are always luckier than us than we are uh, at Texas A&M, uh, Amazon. And this is, by the way, the second location that Prime Air is promising to make happen. But the delivery service is going to College Station, which is where Texas A&M is. It's already in Lockford, California. Um, what they're doing is finally bringing to market something they started thinking they were going to be doing in 2013. Um, I happen to know the guy who was sort of in charge of the initial effort. There were a lot of expectations that within a year to two, meaning by 2015, uh, there would be drone deliveries from Amazon within 30 minutes of ordering. That was the goal. Uh, so if you ordered something, the drone would deliver it right to you uh, very close to the moment you when you had the impulse to buy. All good. Um, but they ran into all kinds of challenges, primarily technology, which is not surprising when it came to drones flying around in urban areas and suburban areas. And they had all kinds of issues. Uh, they have they believe they've solved, solved them. And now they're launching it there in College Station. So are there still challenges out there that could delay this or or is it something that finally, after all these years of it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, is it finally coming? Yeah. It is. And and so what's what's really interesting, first of all, when they're finally launching it in a place uh, like College Station, they are obviously planning now to roll it out. In other words, they've cut those those barriers to entry, including FAA um, certification, uh, because these things are obviously flying around the air. Uh, the FAA has a very high safety bar for its uh, for for certification, and 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 Amazon has obviously had to you know satisfy that that bar, get over that bar. Um, the the primary drones were promised to arrive for half hour shipping soon as 2018 clearly we're beyond that but most of those roles have been overcome and and again what they're imagining is prescription drug delivery anything that has a high value and a low weight basically uh you know they're not going to be delivering diamonds but <laughs> we don't think but diamonds are the are a great sort of thumbnail for anybody thinking about what is high value low weight uh but but uh prescription drugs is a great example and that's one of the things they're going to be doing first paul beyond amazon who's doing this and who's making progress and who might we see also joining the drone delivery team? Well, you know, what's interesting is that there a, a whole host of companies are challenging Amazon for this. Uh, Google among them. Uh, the biggest challenge that Amazon, that, that Google has, because Google is doing exactly the same thing. They are looking forward to, um, you know, responding to advertising data that they get. That's what Google does and understanding what people want and then having, making it possible for folks to be, to deliver uh, products right to their door. And there are people who are partnered with Google. The challenge Google has is they don't have a built-in, you know, understandably, a giant retail operation, a giant fulfillment center operation around the globe, or at least around the U.S. 
And so that's that's the biggest challenge Google's going to face is that sort of installed base, if you will, of, of basically fulfillment centers. So Amazon is way ahead here, even though they are a little late to the game in terms of delivery. And Paul, is this one of those things that, you know, they're always looking for ways to find a way to catch or pass Amazon? And it's always kind of a challenge because Amazon was there first. But is this one of those opportunities that maybe a company can actually find a way to succeed against Amazon if they can you know, implement drone deliveries maybe a bit quicker or a bit better? Well, if you're a student of history uh, when it comes to Amazon, and I, I certainly am, um, it, it is unlikely that somebody's going to walk into an, uh, an arena or a market or a vertical, depending on how you want to talk about it, uh, like, like drone delivery, and push Amazon aside. What is often the case is somebody will come in, do a better job. In other words, yes, the answer, the short answer is there's lots of room for competition. However, what would often happen is if that competition is successful, Amazon, which has lots, lots of cash on hand, market, market uh, correction notwithstanding, uh, would buy that competition. Same, Google does this all the time as well. Facebook certainly has a track record. So I would suggest that there's a huge opportunity to compete, but with a, not with the objective of beating Amazon, but, but maybe being acquired by Amazon. That's sort of the track record for most folks. That's Paul Hockman, the president of Humongous Media and the former tech editor for the Today Show out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Always great to hear from you, Paul. Up next, mixed results from America's big banks. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Wells Fargo and Citigroup issuing earnings reports, and let's see how they did and talk about the banking industry in general as we're joined by Art Hogan, the chief market strategist at National Securities in New York. So, Art, your thoughts on the numbers from Citigroup and Wells Fargo? Yeah, Citigroup certainly gave us an upside surprise here. They came in uh, with revenues of $4.5 billion uh, for the quarter. The street had been looking for $3.6 billion, so a very nice beat on the revenue line. <clears throat> and uh, they actually took down what they think might be the potential loss from their Russian exposure from uh, $3 billion down to $2 billion in losses there. So a couple of pieces of good news. They also talked about seeing strong consumer demand, strong uh, corporate demand for loans. Um, but City, like the rest of the banks, is going to have to increase their capital, um, their tier one capital, uh, for future potential future losses, so they're uh, they're going from 10.5 percent tier one capital to 12 percent, um, and that was true of J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and all of uh, the, all the large money center banks. They're just uh, preparing for the worst in case some storm clouds turn into uh, actual hurricanes uh, in the future. But uh, right now, I'd say of the bunch that we've heard from, we've seen uh, heard from about eight of the big financial companies. Citibank is certainly the best of the bunch. What about Wells Fargo? What's going on there? Yeah, a little bit of a miss there. It came at 74 cents on the adjusted earnings basis. The street had been looking for 80 cents on the revenue side. <clears throat> it came in at 17.03 billion. The street had been looking for 17.54 uh, billion. Uh, in all of the banks, the, the weakest segment was their investment banking business. Really dried up in the second quarter, very much like the first quarter this year. Investment banking has uh, screeched to a halt with the kind of volatility you've seen in the market. So. That uh, was true for Wells Fargo. It's been true for uh, all the banks that do, that uh, have investment banking divisions, and uh, that was probably the biggest drag on Wells Fargo's earnings. Um, but they did miss, as did J.P. Morgan uh, yesterday, coming in at 276 versus at 288, and coming in a little light on revenues at 31.6 billion versus 31.9 billion of expectations. So. It's a mixed bag for the banks. We'll hear from Bank of America next week. But uh, on balance, um, we've seen uh, uh, about eight of the banks report. And it's been a pretty uh, mixed bag with five beats and three misses so far. 
Art, there's been some talk that maybe the streets being a little rough on the banking sector, considering the numbers. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I can tell you this: the banking sector, uh, if you if you measure it by the uh, XLF, which is the uh, the Spider Financial uh, ETF, it's up. It's trading pretty much in line with the market. So it's down 18 percent uh, on a year-to-date basis. The S and P is down about 20 percent year-to-date. So it's doing modestly better than the market, the broader market, but not much. I would tell you this, I think that the, when you get concerned about the economy slowing down, one of the first places that gets hit is the banks, who's assuming that they're going to have larger loan losses and less demand for their products. I think that's probably overdone, and what we're not you know, pricing in is the increase in net interest margins that all the banks saw in the second quarter uh, with higher interest rates. So, I, you know, I, if, if you were to ask me what sector is not reflecting reality the most is probably the financials. Um, and they probably have a much better second half than they have a first half, especially if either we have a short and shallow recession or if we avoid a recession in 2022. That's Art Hogan, the chief market strategist at National Securities in New York. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A pivotal senator reveals his position on a budget proposal that's focused on climate change. A major U.S. bank dealing with regulatory issues. On Entrepreneur Friday, we'll find out how a unique Chicago boutique is doing ahead of back to school fashion time. And some younger members of the workforce are making key mistakes in planning their financial futures. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow's up 620 points, the S&P 500 up 66, and the Nasdaq's ahead by 173 points. Rain off and on today at times heavy could see some localized flooding as we head up to a high of 74 this afternoon. Right now it's raining and 67 at O'Hare at 1231. The West Virginia senator whose support is needed to pass any Democratic-led effort in the 50-50 Senate says he's not going to support a proposed budget measure. Having already stymied the president's Build Back Better agenda, Senator Joe Manchin now says he's not on board at the moment for a package of climate investments paid for by tax increases. I'm not throwing caution to the wind. I want to make sure. And this July figures will tell us. Manchin tells West Virginia's Metro News Network he wants to see this month's inflation data and see how the Federal Reserve responds. For now, Manchin says he would only support a smaller reconciliation package focused on drug prices and health care subsidies. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. One of the country's biggest banks is in trouble with regulators, as we hear from CBS correspondent Jim Crisula. Bank of America has been fined $225 million by U.S. banking regulators over what they called a botched handling of jobless benefits during the pandemic. They said the Charlotte, North Carolina-based bank used a faulty fraud detection program that improperly froze the prepaid card accounts of thousands of people seeking jobless benefits in 2020 and 2021. The bank will also have to reimburse certain customers, and that could add up to hundreds of millions of dollars. It's 1232. 
Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets definitely higher this afternoon, and here to talk about it, Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. And you can check out Jim at macrotides.com. So, Jim, we talked about this earlier, but I think we need to get a little bit deeper into it. Tell me about what you think uh, about these numbers today and what they mean and, and how we should be reacting to these numbers. Well, the Federal Reserve, I think, Jim, has been guiding investors. A few weeks ago, people were raising the prospect that the Fed would only raise the funds rate at 50, by 50 basis points in July. And then after two bad CPI reports, oh, they're going to raise it by 100. And yesterday, one of the Fed governors said he was in favor of 75 basis points unless retail sales came in much stronger than expected. They came in okay. And people immediately then interpreted, oh, I guess we are only going to get 75 basis points increase. So that's why the market has rallied. Uh, But the main point is that the Fed is working overtime trying to guide expectations of what they're going to do at, you know, the coming meetings. The one point I would make is that if you're in an airplane that's about to land, the rate of descent from 30,000 feet to 10,000 feet is much faster than the rate of descent from 3,000 feet to the ground. The Fed wants a soft landing. They're going to decelerate the, the magnitude of rate increases. My take has been they're going to do 75 in July and potentially, at least they'll talk about it, 50 at the September meeting. Uh, but they're not going to give that, that away, Jim, for weeks until they see more data. All right. What do we need to watch for now that's going to decide – whether we do have that soft landing, a recovery, we end up maybe still needing or heading into a recession. What are we watching for now that's going to tell us which way this goes? Um, the data has to really allow the Fed the uh, you know ability to be able to start to backpedal. There are also some things happening overseas. Uh, financial conditions have tightened very uh, you know, significantly in emerging markets. The dollar is really strong. So for a lot of emerging market companies that have dollar-denominated debt, they're feeling a lot of stress. So that's another reason, Jim, why I think we'll see the Fed backpedal. But in the meantime, they're going to continue to talk tough, and the market still has to absorb earnings that I think aren't going to be great. So I think the S&P Chart-wise, as long as we held 3740, which it did yesterday, there's a shot that it could rally above 4,000. But I I think equally, there's another leg down that will take us to a lower low. And at that point in time, I would be, uh, you know, pretty positive and looking uh, to be a buyer. That's Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. And again, you can get more from Jim at his website, macrotides.com. Up next on Entrepreneur Friday, an update from a boutique on Chicago's southwest side that features a personal touch. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday. Summer parties and weddings roll on and back to school and homecoming dress buying is just around the corner. And that is music to the ears of our guest, Roy Surday, the founder of Peaches Boutique at 5915 South Archer here in Chicago. So, Roy, I've got to imagine it's wonderful to see these things, especially after the past couple of years. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's always appreciated. Uh, yes, we uh, we saw prom coming back to normal. We're expecting homecoming to be 
normal. The kids are looking forward to having a good homecoming season. And, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Roy, are your sales better than they might have been in a traditional year because we've had so much of this going on for the past couple of years? Is it is it is it about where it was before the pandemic? Is it better than it was before the pandemic? What's going on with that? So um, our sales in prom were probably down a bit from traditional, but what was up is our quinceanera business because, you know, quinceaneras were put off for so long that they had to come now and they were all having their quinceas this summer. So they, there was a lot of sales in that. So that that uh, increased. Prom was probably down about up to about 85% of what it normally is. So we, we kind of suspected that would be the case. Uh, but homecoming, we're expecting, we're hoping that it goes back to normal because, you know, the kids are looking forward to going back to school. Uh, you know, uh, the manufacturers are looking for a good season. You know, uh, there's a lot of good looks out in the line. So on the line. So we're just uh, we're hoping for a good uh, homecoming season. Now, obviously, no one wants a repeat of what we've been going through. But I would imagine being a regular here on Entrepreneur Friday, we talk to you because you have a successful formula. So what have you learned from the challenges we faced the past couple of years that's helping you now and is going to help you move forward and have even a better business? So what we've learned to do is because of the previous, you know, causes from the pandemic of production, getting inventory, we've bought a lot of inventory for this upcoming homecoming season. So when we went to market in April for homecoming, uh, we looked at it and we just said, you know what, we we feel we're going to have a good year. So we ordered a huge amount of homecoming dresses. In fact, our store is loaded with homecoming. We hope, we, we still feel that there's going to be some production uh, uh, kinks in the, in the system. Well, you know, raw materials are still difficult for a lot of these countries to get, So and, and shipment is not up to par yet. So we've ordered a lot of inventory. We're suggesting the customer shops early because the one thing the manufacturers are not going to do is if, if it's not ready now, they're not going to produce more during the season to fulfill whatever they see a lack of. So there might be a lot of inventory, but if you want to make sure you get what you want, you really need to start early and and shop around and and look because, uh, as you say, you can't come back at the end and go, well, I'd like to have this, and they're going to say, so sorry, we can't deliver. Yeah, that's true. And and, and we, uh, being as the biggest probably in the country on colored goods, we uh, we have the biggest selection of all the brands. We're a big Sherry Hill dealer, Primavera, Rachel Allen, Maury Lee. So we suggest, and we are seeing homecoming shopping already. So as early as it is, the kids are already thinking of homecoming, and they're already coming out and shopping. So our suggestion is to go early, even if you're not back to school, you know, go out, get your dress, and you're ready to go for your big event. Roy, any other advice you have to make sure that if you are in this shopping in these markets, or even look, talking about just parties, weddings, that sort of thing. Just anything that people, maybe you're seeing from your customers that, oh, if only they knew this, or if they only did this, it would have been better for them and for us. Well, I believe that sometimes people are skeptical. You know, we've gone through a really tough two years, the whole world has. And I think it's, I think uh, if the, the customer is become skeptical, so then naturally they don't buy when they're out shopping at first until they feel like for sure there's going to be an event. Um, however, I think 
you know, we've all realized that we have to live with some of this and move forward. And I think that the customer should start just going back to normal and doing what they did prior to the pandemic. And, and just, you know, uh, you know, I know it was a tough time, but I think we're, I think we're all going to enjoy the next couple of years. That's Roy Surday, the founder of Peaches Boutique at 5915 South Archer here in Chicago. Roy, always great to get an update from you on what's happening at Peaches. Still to come, younger workers could be taking a big misstep with their saving strategy. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Well, it appears that a lot of young people are making a big mistake in terms of saving for their future. And let's find out what that is and how to avoid it by bringing in Tony Ogorek, the founder of Ogorek Wealth Management out of Buffalo. So what are a lot of young people doing these days? Why and why is it such a big mistake? Well, Jim, it seems as though there's a basic confusion between uh, making money and creating wealth. And one of the greatest assets young people have, you know, in this case, maybe age 18 to 35 is time. And if they can get in decent companies uh, that have products that people are going to want to buy, uh, they've got compounding over decades, and that is going to make such a significant difference for them. One other point, if they can just start putting some money into either index funds or, or companies when they're young, if they're this, at, at this point, and they can do it consistently, let's say on a monthly basis, the amount of money that they're going to have to put in down the road if they hadn't done this would be so much larger. It just is using time, which is their biggest asset, to their best advantage. And Tony, I imagine one of the problems is that young people think, well, I don't really have enough to do this, and anything is better than nothing, right? I mean, even if it seems like a small amount, you know, over a, a lifetime, that small amount can really be significant, right? I agree, Jim. And, you know, the advice we give people is, in this case, pay yourself first. You know, if you decide that you're going to put away, I don't know, 5% of your paycheck, 10%, whatever it is, what you do is you put that away first, and then you live on what's left. One of the big problems people have is they think savings means if there's anything left after I've you know, gone to dinner, movies, spend it, whatever else, that's what I'll put away. And that's never going to work for them. So in essence, you want to invest in yourself first and then deal with the rest of it. Because I guess it, it might sound a bit selfish, but frankly, you are your most important asset. That's why you need to invest in you and worry about the rest of it later. Because if you're not investing in yourself, the rest of it maybe really doesn't matter. That's true. And that's why we say, you know, uh, debt to going to college, improve your skill level is, is smart debt. And if you're going into debt for vacations, that is not so smart because it doesn't increase or enhance your market value uh, out there in the economy. So, Tony, you probably either hear from parents who go, how do I get my kids to understand this? Or you are you're lucky enough to talk to some of them. For those who might be listening or for parents who are trying to impart some sound advice. What's your advice to them? Well, my advice is um, kids watch a lot more than they than they listen. And uh, if they see that their parents are savers, if they're thrifty, if they watch, um, you know what's what, and they're able to salt some money away, they're going to see that regardless of what they what they tell the kids. I also think it's a good idea, uh, you know, for the parents to sit down with their kids and say, "Look, here's what we've got." Uh, here's how I accumulated this money in my 401k plan. Here's what I'm doing at work. 
And this is what's helping to pay for, you know, your school, our lifestyle, my retirement down the road. And I think if you have that kind of relationship with your kids, you level with them, show them what you're doing. I think that's a great way to, to turn the light on in their heads. That's Tony Ogorek, the founder of Ogorek Wealth Management out of Buffalo. Tony, great advice. And if you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.